welcome to a new episode of the Film and Lincoln Center podcast. This week, we're featuring two Q&As with filmmakers whose debut features are arriving this month. Our first Q&A is with director Amir Questlove-Thompson discussing his first film, Summer of Soul, with New York Film Festival director Eugene Hernandez, presented after our outdoor screening at Lincoln Center's Restart Stages. This conversation is followed by a Q&A from the 50th New Directors New Films, with the director duo Chuku and Ari Asiri in their debut film, Imofi, This Is My Desire, moderated by Film Lincoln Center's assistant programmer, Dan Sullivan. In Summer of Soul, Amir Questlove-Thompson presents a powerful and transporting documentary, part music film, part historical record, created around the epic Harlem Cultural Festival, which was filmed in Mount Morris Park in 1969. The footage was never seen and largely forgotten until now. Inspired by the legacies of neorealism, the Assyri Brothers' fluid and precise debut, Emofi, This Is My Desire, is a tale consisting of two parallel narratives, following a pair of characters trying to transcend their daily struggles and teaming Lagos. Summer of Soul is now playing on Hulu and in theaters, and Emofi, This Is My Desire is coming to theaters next week. Please enjoy the conversations. Hi, I'm Eugene Hernandez, uh, director of the New York Film Festival and uh, deputy executive director, film at Lincoln Center. Thank you for joining us again for this uh, special evening at Lincoln Center. Um, and so thrilled to be chatting uh, over Zoom, but to share this conversation tonight at Lincoln Center outdoors with Amir Questlove-Thompson. Welcome, Amir. Hello, how are you? How are you doing? Hi, everyone out there. How are you? Thanks for, thanks for doing this. Thanks for sharing this film with us. Uh, when I first saw it back in January during the Sundance Film Festival, um, I dreamed about the opportunity to watch it the way our audience just watched it uh, tonight as they're watching this Q&A, and that is on a big screen with a crowd of people in New York City. That's my dream too. You know, <laughs> totally had this in mind, even as we were making it, even in the pandemic, um, we knew that the, you know, that this Hail Mary pass that we were doing and hopefully, you know, have the film out in time, right when the world's about to open, this is the perfect film to uh, embrace them with open arms and have them watch. And, you know, I'm so glad that but the timing couldn't have been better. This is the exact moment, you know, right when the world's starting to open up right now. And, you know, so hopefully this will be people's first foray into a movie theater. And um, I, I I couldn't be happier. Timing is everything. Timing is everything. You're absolutely right. Thank you yeah. to our friends at Searchlight and Hulu. The film is in theaters and on Hulu July 2nd. Uh, so tell a friend about that. Mm -hmm. um, so... Amir, let's just talk a little bit. Uh, we have just like 15 minutes, but let's just talk a little bit about, um, well, okay, let me start by saying one of the things that I was thinking about in, in discovering this, this story, the story yeah. of this film and the experience uh, that happened um, and was almost lost. Yeah. <laughs> So, well, let me just start with a simple question, and then we'll get get into the complexity of what happened here. Uh, how did so? How did you? How did you individually discover uh, this this cultural festival? Okay, so I inadvertently discovered this uh, in 1997. Uh, it's my first time in Japan, and um, you know, I, I kind of joke about it, but it's actually real. Like before YouTube, I was actually YouTube. So it was my job, and this is during the period in which like uh, 
I'm at Electric Lady Studios. We're like working on Erica Badu's Baduism, working on D'Angelo's Voodoo, working on Things Fall Apart for the Roots. So what I would do was I'd always walk around, not a backpack, but I would have two big giant Kipling bags full of nothing but VHS cassettes. And DVDs weren't quite out like in 96, 97, but um, I took my first trip to Japan and I was in a cafe called uh, the Soul Train Cafe. And um, I'll say like maybe a minute or two, like 90 seconds of the Sly and the Family Stone footage, um, the kind of bird's eye view camera of it, that was playing. Um, But in my mind, uh, especially in 96, because America really, besides Lollapalooza, America really wasn't familiar with festivals the way that I knew it. You know, we had moved to Europe and realized we moved to Europe because there was like 900 festivals all across Europe. So the Roots lived in Europe for like four years. So in my mind, I think when I saw the footage, I just thought, oh, that's Lion the Family Stone somewhere in like Switzerland or something. You know, there were festivals behind them. Having no idea that I was watching um, the Harlem Cultural Festival. So cut to 20 years later, um, Robert Fivillant and David Dennerstein, my two producers, um, get in contact with my people to tell them about this, this mythical uh, Harlem festival that happened that had Sly Stone and Staple Singers and Stevie Wonder and all these names of the day. And the music snob in me really was like, that didn't happen. I know everything. I'm, I'm, do you know who you're talking to? I'm the all knowing quest love of me. Like that's the kind of arrogance I had. And um, man, they, they, they humbled me real quick. And, uh, showed me the footage and then I was just like, oh God, this is real. And then it was like, wait a minute, how come I don't know about this? Like, again, the arrogance set in like, wait, you try to outdo God? Like, how how do I not know about this? I know everything. And, you know, then it, then I got defensive. Like, well, wait, why, why should I direct this? Like, I'm a first time, I just got my permit a second ago. You want me to drive this 18 wheeler across the United States? And so, you know, I had those moments where that's that's the biggest takeaway from this, that, you know, I had all this doubt and, and fear I, I do with anything I do that's new. And um, but I realized that this story is way bigger than me or my fear that this is I get I get a chance to restore history and correct history, not just make my directorial debut. I get a chance to actually something I care about music history. I get, I get a chance to really correct it. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's been a really strange two year journey to get to this point right now. Yeah. Fascinating. Look, watching the film, um, a few months ago and then watching it again recently, I just feel like I, I get this, like, and I'm sure our audience who just watched it are, are feeling it. It's like this time capsule that just got, this time capsule you didn't even know you were looking for this archive you that you it, right. didn't even that you didn't even know you existed but that you realized that you needed and and we can talk about why in this moment it's so necessary but also just like as a as a you know we're at Lincoln Center with this Q&A and and just as part of like a cultural a cultural legacy mm-hmm. um that was again i get i get so focused on the fact that it was nearly lost or like that some you know Amir Questlove Thompson didn't even know it existed and you're like you're out in the forefront of like ex- exploring what is has <laughs> happening multi- musically to our culture in our culture historically and in the present moment 
So that's how just, to, that's how really to get profound. to that point. That's the million profound. dollar question. Right. Um, I'll, I'll say this much. Um, and I definitely learned it because I think, uh, not even as a country, as a world, I'm certain that the world has uh, taken in, especially last year, a lot of content. You know, a lot of us were um, locked in our houses, quarantining and, and you know, television and our computers or whatever our streaming systems were. That was our best friend. Um, and so if you notice that there was a, a, a there was sort of the seeds of pushback on the amount of black content that contained what I kind of dub like uh, uh, pain porn, if you will. And I, I know that there is, uh, at least my understanding is the fact that when black stories are told, um, you know, it's, it's, it's important to be true and authentic to what we experience, but what winds up coming through, usually with every important Black story, is just like how much pain we go to. You know, and it's not even just with fictional stories, just with what's on social media, the fact that it's just so normalized for us to watch Black bodies get shot and killed like it's nothing. You know, we've all watched that George Floyd clip at least 10 times. So it's almost like it was getting normalized. And I realized that the one component that is also just as crucial to our experience in storytelling is also black joy. That's just as crucial. You know, it's different for it's different food groups, but black joy is also important in telling the story. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's just like when, when I was making this film, I decided to, I, I held off on reading that Prince, uh, autobiography for the longest you know because you know it's hard to say really coming to grips that he's not here with us so like reading his autobiography was like my last act of seeing something about Prince that I didn't know and he talks about how much um seeing Woodstock with his father as an 11 year old meant to him and how that was a paradigm shift and how that changed his perspective and how that was his come to Jesus moment and I thought about it like, wow, okay. So he was 11 when Woodstock came out and that changed his life and turned him into my musical hero. And I'm just wondering like, wow, like if Summer of Soul had come out as intended, would that affect me the, the same way? You know, what's weird. What actually wound up replacing Summer Soul, what beat it to the gate, sort of in a tortoise in the hair way. Is, is Soul Train. Soul Train wound up being the, the epicenter of what the first view of Black joy, us not being mired in protests and getting gunned down or hosed down or being mired in trouble. Uh, you know, you just never saw the Black teenager in any other way but that one lane. And um, I realize now, you know, when doing it, I just had hopes that, okay, this will be a really cool art house film. Maybe I'll rent out, you know, a theater one night and invite my friends to see this one little film that I made. Um, this this film is really resonating with a lot of people. And, you know, it's again, you, you can't plan lightning in a bottle. You can't plan thriller. You can't plan you can't plan a moment like this ever. Like timing is everything. And it's just that we're so in need of something uplifting 
that's also educational that you know this this just wound up being in line next you know next <laughs> next at the bank line and so um but yeah black joy is an important component that i feel gets neglected often so thank god i hear you i hear you yeah thank god i mean you know it's 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 interesting to think about what could have been and it's this is just me speaking personally like i so for some reason as a kid, I was born in the late 60s, uh, 68. And, uh, mm-hmm. and for some reason, as a, as a kid, for some reason, thanks to my parents, like I gravitated more to Soul Train than American Bandstand. That's just right. that was just like, that was my like, that was where I went. Um, but um, they danced better. Sold in, and, <laughs> <laughs> and that was just, you know, it, it was it embodied and connected to the music my parents were introducing me to and listening to and my family was listening to. Um, right. And, and and yet I'm thinking about like, of course, I'm thinking about like what could have been. But then I'm also in that same moment thinking about what can be because of your film. You know, wh- what does it say about our our cultural values and our cultural moment that now that this is found, now that this has been restored, this footage is beautiful and it sounds spectacular. And the mm-hmm. fact that, you know, because um, I look at I look at the moment that you're depicting in this film that you're that you're talking about in this film and the connection between black joy and brown joy and the 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 the, the coalition of folks in new york at that moment and what it says about you know sort of an, what opportunity it invites us to to grapple yes. with to embrace to think about um and i asked this question at lincoln center intentionally because as an art arts campus it it, it issues a challenge to us i think to 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 not forget that there's aspects of our history that that we might have either forgotten or almost lost or need to reconnect with in order to lay a foundation for how we think about our culture going forward. You know, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up um, because this was even an education for me as well. Um, even as a yeah, okay, I've, I don't know how long one has to transplant to New York to call themselves a New Yorker. Like I've been here for, <laughs> I've been here for. I'm like right across the street from the World Trade Center <laughs> in my apartment. Like every day I wake up, that's greeting me. Um, but like I've been here for 12 years. And, um, you know, it's it's an outsider's view of Harlem might just be the Apollo Theater, Don't Get Booed, and Sylvia Soul Food. That's all they know. Um and it's so much more, you know, I, I saw early when we made our fourth album, uh, Things Fall Apart, we rented uh, two houses in Spanish Harlem. And I was just like, oh, I, I didn't know that there was, there was a brown community up here in Harlem. Like, I thought it was just 125th Street and all the, the greatest singers and entertainers in the world. Like, so, you know, even then I knew that Harlem, um, I mean, at one point, Harlem was the black capital of of the world you know like when you think of black city like harlem is the first thing you thought of um but in doing this film i realized that there was so much more like an african community a caribbean community a a brown community like yes a white community lgbtq like there's a whole diverse community um that often you know is isn't thought of you know it's 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 almost like it's taken for granted so um, even in the lineup, the lineup of of the festival. I mean, the fact that you know this this girl is 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 dancing to Sonny Chirac's the most atonal, violent guitar solo I've ever heard in my life, <laughs> and she's just 
dancing and like like it's it, like her life depends on it. Like no one's watching. And to me, that that's the beauty of it all. Like my favorite camera of those four cameras used uh, is the the audience camera, the fourth camera. You just get to see the the look on their face. So um, yes, I, I just seeing the 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 diverse lineup, the 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 audience, the the music. It's 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 something to behold and it's something to learn. So yes, even though this film was held back for fifty years, um, which you know is it speaks to the power of the film that even 50 years out the gate, it's still as potent and as needed and as urgent now than it ever was. Perfect words to conclude this, this brief, but for me, meaningful and hopefully for our audience, significant conversation this evening um, that we're sharing it at Lincoln center. Thank you, Amir Questlove Thompson for sharing this film Thank with you. us on Juneteenth uh, at, at Lincoln center. It's really meaningful to us. The film, as I mentioned earlier, will be in theaters and on Hulu July 2nd. Thanks to our friends at Searchlight. Congratulations to you and all your colleagues in bringing this film to reality. And thank you for sharing the joy with us. Thank you guys for watching. I appreciate you and the audience for, for watching. Please spread the word to, to people, bring your family, everything, even drive-ins. We're doing a driving component as well. Thank you very right. much. I appreciate it. Hi, I'm Clinton Crute. And I'm Devika Girish. We're the editors of Film Comment. The Film Comment Letter is a free weekly digital newsletter featuring original film criticism and writing by Film Comment's editors and brilliant contributors. The letter delivers exclusive features, reviews, interviews, streaming picks, news, and more directly to subscribers' inboxes every Thursday before they're published on filmcomment.com the following Monday. Sign up today at filmcomment.com to get the letter every week. Support independent film journalism. Support Film Comment. I'm uh, joined now by the co-directors of This Is My Desire, uh, Chuko and Ari Asiri. We could probably just begin at the beginning uh, with sort of the origins of the film. Here I'm specifically interested, I think, in, in, the, writing, in the writing of the film. Uh, Chuko, I think you were the, uh, the primary uh, writer, I, I believe. Um, and I'm wondering at what stage... I think I'm wondering at what stage, like specifically this kind of parallel or like bifurcated sort of narrative uh, uh, came into, came into the, into the mix and, and maybe just kind of generally um, how the, how the writing of the film proceeded. The, the decision to split the film into chapters, uh, it came much later on in the, um, in the writing. Um, it, it was actually a result of, in my last year at film school, I was at NYU, and in my last year at school, um, we had a we had a, a producing class, or it was more like a business of producing type uh, sort of class. And uh, one of one of our class, one of the classmates sent around. Um, it was the it was the Gina Davis Gina Davis Institute their first gender their first gender parity study that they did at USC. So this is like 26, 2014 or something like that. But they did this, they did this study and I was reading through it. And um, I, I, I personally found I was very guilty of um, sort of relegating female characters to supporting roles. And there were all these, tro there were all these tropes that I'd like subconsciously fallen into. And um, so that made me rethink the whole thing. Cause initially it was very much Moffat's story and Rosa was a 
supporting character in the very original, in the original idea. And um, yeah, and I was just, I was just like, there's nothing worse than like finding out you just like every other person out there. So, um, so um, when I went back, when I went back home, I started thinking more about fleshing her out as a character and uh, started thinking more about some of the people I knew and um, and like as she grew and grew and grew it got to the point where I was like well she may as well just have her own chapter because th- there was no way to to fit it in one to, to, to fit it seamlessly in one uh, story in one narrative so she ended up developing her own chapter and I'd also I was watching films at the time and I'd watched them um, I'd watched Days of Fatty Akin's The Edge of Heaven and um, um, uh, Wong Kar Wai's uh, Chunking Express. And these are films that are chaptered. And so it sort of it sort of gave me the confidence to just go ahead and do it. And through that, through that whole experience, I I I found ways of speaking about different issues in the country and of showing the different ways in which people travel. And so it ended up being um, a massive, a massive blessing um uh and even after that there was a time when we tried mixing it up where it was sort of bouncing between one and the other um but um Ari who is um my boss said that uh that that wasn't working let's go back to the chapters so so we went back to the chapters yeah um I uh I yeah and I want I want to ask about the um sort of I guess this is Related, I, I wanted to ask about the uh, about the cast, but maybe maybe first we should talk about uh, about Lagos. Um, um, I think you know the the film the film forwards like a very interesting um, representation of Lagos that kind of um, that kind of uh, subverts maybe some of the uh, in the wet like you know like in the in Western cinema sort of like what we you know how we see it portrayed. Um, maybe could you could you guys uh talk a bit about um about filming there and i guess it's both like I, i'm curious about it like uh you know logistically in terms of like the actual experience of, of of shooting a film uh there but also like um but also just sort of like symbolically or you know um sort of sort of about like uh the figure that like Lagos cuts like in the, in the film. So um, could you, uh, and then we'll, I would like to talk about the, uh, the, the human characters in the film as well. So um, uh, could you t- tell us a bit about that? I'm, I'm, uh, I'm interested in knowing what the, uh, what, what the Western perception is of Lagos actually, because I think one of the things that we went into it was feeling that um, it isn't really on screen much. Um, but you know that um, I, I think I think it was um, a journalist with the New Yorker that once described Lagos as a um, as a New York on acid. Um, I can't or was it L.A. Times? I can't remember. But but that that's something that sort of like stuck with us for a while, mm-hmm. um, and I think that was written in like two thousand and five or six. Um, so I'm curious. I'm curious if you if you have you know what have you experienced Lagos at all on in 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 media or. Sure. Yeah. Yes. And in, in films. Yes. Like never, never uh, in person. So like, you know, my, my sort of perspective is like um, informed by that, but, um, but um, I don't know. I mean, I would say, uh, you know, I think like in, in Western representation and so on, it's uh, yeah, it's probably like uh, how to put it. 
it's like not thought uh yeah it's not it's perhaps not represented uh like in this way that i think you're kind of like um you're talking about it like it's 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 not portrayed it's not uh it's not sort of framed and presented uh to people but then i think like the uh maybe the kind of explosion of the like nigerian film industry over like the century is kind of um you know that's also like exercising some influence on the way that people think about uh, uh lagos so um right yeah so i i think i think yeah. that broadly speaking yeah right yeah well i i would say that um that filming in lagos is hot um um uh, and i think this is be this has been one of the reasons why I, we haven't seen it as fleshed out um uh, perhaps in 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 um other lagos based stories um but i know right from the writing it was very important for us um to be able to experience the 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 city as a as a character um um and that meant you know um really despite my um reservations it meant sticking to every single one of the 48 locations that chuko um uh wrote um and i will admit i did try to bring it down by at least half um but it it i i think once we committed to it we 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 committed to it and we 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 did everything that we needed to to make sure that it happened as seamlessly as possible um um and that didn't come without um its issues shooting in the markets uh, and things i think at one stage um a pineapple was thrown at a cameraman but uh but uh but uh um all ended well um i i it, it just requires a lot of preparation you know it, it, this is a city that that it has a very improvised type of um infrastructure to it and and uh, public transport is is almost is is improvised as well um so it means the whole all of the cast and crew staying in um one location there isn't anything like you arrive on set at a certain time everyone's just got to be um in the same place and moving in the buses um at, at the same time um usually leaving like you know at least an hour ahead of, of schedule um uh we spent a lot of time in a lot of these neighborhoods that we shot in chuko um spent a lot of time in mushing mushing is where the um two main characters live um but chuko spent a lot of time in there um actually rented one of the apartments um i think the one that mofa lives in he rented that for about a year um maybe a bit longer um and was constantly present in that neighborhood um and we were um pretty much working with the locals um in all of these places that we were shooting many of them appear in the film um either by accident or purposely um uh which we absolutely loved um but yeah lots and lots of preparation i think um um and not being afraid to rewrite the rules I think this is this is something that some of our foreign crew I think had to um get used to just the idea that you know uh films and life in general happens very differently in a very different type of pace um in Lagos um so yeah I mean it, I could go on forever about this um there's just so much that's very unusual about shooting in that place that I'd love to share but you know time is, is limited <laughs> 
Oh. <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's up to you. But maybe we could. Uh, but maybe uh, we could talk a bit about the um, about the actor, about the actors, and and how they kind of they're they're negotiating their environments sort of on set and and so on. How and how the two of you worked uh, with them, um, and because it's yeah, it's a it's obviously a, a really um, extraordinary uh, cast in the film. Uh, I think particularly the particularly the two leads. So maybe. Um, could we talk a bit about how like the, uh, the casting proceeded and then um, uh, yeah. And maybe a bit about how, how you guys uh, work with, work with the actors. Um, uh, yeah. The, the film is, it, I think they're, they're working in like a very interesting register and it's like, um, it's not too, it's, it's not too much. It's not too little, you know, it's kind of um, uh, so uh, yeah. I mean, could you just, uh, could you tell us a bit about, I guess, like wh- how you uh, how you populated the film with with these with these uh, performers and how you work with them. Sure. Yeah, I'll talk about Judah Kudike, who plays um, 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 Moffat, um, mm-hmm. and then Chuko can speak about the rest of the cast. Um, uh, so I had seen Jude in a play in the UK. Um, well, at, th- at that stage, actually, I seen him in two plays. One of them was a, was a radio play. Um, um, but I had seen him play in the UK um, many years ago, actually, um, uh, probably like 2010 or something like this. Um, and um, yeah, he'd always made a really big impression on me. And I'd sort of come across his work a few times over the years. Um, and um, I'm not quite sure which draft of the script it was, um, because Moffat was actually written slightly younger. Um, uh, but that 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 changed when I, I just had this whatever I don't know what we would, we'll call it an epiphany or whatever that um yeah that Jude totally should should be the the lead I just felt like he 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 really fit the character and wears a lot of um uh his expressions on his face naturally um um and I also knew that he he hadn't I just felt like he hadn't been on screen enough he's he's a pretty he's a pretty um uh prominent stage actor in the in the UK but um, I'd always thought it was a shame that he 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 hadn't been on screen, and I I had told him once, and he doesn't remember many many years ago uh, after the radio play. I said, "Oh, we're going to work together one day." I like you know, I absolutely love the the stuff that you that you do. But I was um I wasn't even a film student at the time, so he, you know didn't really make <laughs> didn't really make sense to him, <laughs> um, which is why he also doesn't remember. But um but yeah, so we 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 reached out to him. Um, I was actually at that time the radio player was in the presence of Tommy Waidu, who plays Shdeyi in the film, um, and has worked with Jude in many different capacities. And Tommy was a, a friend of ours. So uh, yeah, we just got in touch with his agent, uh, with his agents, and then sent him the script. Um, and it, it was, um, yeah, I was sort of, you know, love, love at first read, which was very fortunate for us. Um, and he ended up coming to to do the film. He had not been back to Nigeria in a real way um, since um, the war. <laughs> um, in the sick. In the yeah, um, since the civil war um uh Biafra uh he left when he was six um as a result of that his, his family emigrated um and he had come back I think in 2010 to bury his father but this was the first time that he was going to be in Nigeria for as long as 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 he was um for the for the shooting of the film um so there was just this really wonderful pre- process of sort of like em- re-imbibing him in the culture let's say 
um, and getting him familiar with um, some of the places that we'd be shooting, the 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 real the the real life um, uh, Moffat, let's say, you know, um, one of many a couple of the electricians that we know that are just um, brilliant people. Um, spending time with them, spending time with you know, Balandi, uh, which is the which is the market where he um, where he uh, he he gets his uh, his coat and his his so and he gets all that stuff sewn. Um, um, yeah, that was what it was like really with Jude. I think for us, the most important thing for him was getting him reacquainted with with, with home, um, um, and and just getting him familiar with the rhythms of life. Um, and then, you know, he's, you know, he, he was, they're, they're definitely professional actors in the film, but, um, um, but, um, but sort of he, he, I guess, was more used to the, um, to the, let's say, non-Nollywood way of, of making uh, movies, which is sort of lengthier, more, draw, more drawn out. You know, Nollywood happens in like two weeks is a very different type of rhythm. Um, so, so he already had that stamina, and 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 I, I think that was also why it was important for us to 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 bring someone with that experience as well, just to 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 balance out our mix of non actors, our mix of very very new actors, um, and then our mix of veteran Nigerian actors who also have a different way of doing things. Yeah, it probably introduced like a, would you say it like introduced an element of maybe spontaneity or something kind of like unprocessed or unsynthesized about his like response to things that he's also living this experience of this kind of like um homecoming and this like re you know this kind of like a i don't know if re-immersion is like the the right word or not but um but it would seem to me it's like even like the most trained best actor in the world would probably they would probably uh have an effect uh on the way that they're performing if if that was their circumstance um that the yeah it did i mean yeah go ahead okay, go, go ahead Chico. no no you go ahead you go ahead i was this actually now you see how it works <laughs> <laughs> I, I was trying to i was trying to um I, I was trying to fully understand the um the question is it that um the the fact that the fact that he that he that he had to sort of reacquaint himself with with mm -hmm. uh home affected his performance is that is that essentially or, what yeah, like enhanced, like enhanced it because it's, um, it's, uh, I'm just thinking like no amount of rehearsal or preparation or research or whatever would probably, um, sort of exhaust just like the, uh, the whole, I don't know, like the emotional effect, uh, that, that comes with that. Oh yeah, I'd absolutely agree. I mean, I, I would, yeah, right down to the way he speaks, um, you know, um, his, his pigeon English when he came was was i would say outdated um you know and uh, i mean <laughs> language changes so quick nigerian pigeon evolves at a, at like the speed of light like if you're away for like a month and you and you haven't been speaking with people you like you 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 know you're out of the loop you know and 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 and, and people know that uh, can tell that immediately so that, for example, was 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 uh, was some was something that that you see in his performance, I, and that you, uh, we felt changed throughout his throughout his time being there. And then we actually rewrote the script uh, for him in Nigerian Pigeon English once he got there. But um, that's something that we couldn't have done beforehand. Um, we we could have done beforehand, but it would have been, uh, I think, a bit uh, confusing, maybe slightly overwhelming. But because he 
he, you know, we were watching the football games and the soccer games for you guys. We were watching the soccer games yeah. in, the, in the in the markets and things like that. And he was getting to speak to a lot of people. Um, and then, you know, we obviously had it. We also had everyone on set, sort of like trying to com- communicate with him in pigeon. And he's 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 naturally gifted with with um, uh, with with accents and, and and a bit of a linguist himself. Um, but yeah, that that's that's one great example, I think. Um, uh, the language he 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 couldn't have got to where he did um, had he not come 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 um, to Nigeria to Lagos early um, and spent time with people. Yeah, this is a, a very a timely a very timely reference to football uh, slash uh, soccer given the events yeah. of the past twenty four hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tell me yeah. about it. Yeah, um, uh, and uh, Chuka, perhaps you could do you want uh, want to talk a bit about the uh, the about the the rest of the cast because it sounds like it's a mix of uh it's like um there are some non-professionals and there are some like incredibly accomplished uh like very like trained and sort of working uh professionals so um yeah yeah we had a we we so we actually the 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 young lady that plays rosa temi i had seen so she's an identical twin and i'd seen her twin sister in a play in the, like years ago, whilst I was writing, it was a college play because uh, it was at the the Lagos Theatre Festival, and I it's a thing I go to every year. And theatre is a great place. Most of those actors actually came from theatre. The the bulk of the professional actors were um, they by their trade on the stage uh, here in Nigeria. Um, so I'd seen her in a play, and then I'd ra- I randomly ran into her um, at a gallery. And I was like, oh, we're, we're casting, we're casting a movie. Um, I'd really want you, I really want you to come and read. Um, oh, so we had a, you, we're didn't a, run, a, you didn't run into her, you ran into her twin sister. No, oh yeah, her twin. No, no, yeah, 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 her twin, Tolu, who I'd seen in the play. And having seen her in the play, I was like, please come and read for this um, oh, film we make. We're, we're, we're make. Um, so we were having an open casting call and I was like, come along. She was like, gave her the details. And she came with her, with her, with her identical twin, Tebby. <laughs> and uh, Tebby ended up winning the role, but they were, they were among the final three or four, um, three or four actors we had for that, for that role. Um, and Temi, Temi at the time of filming was a theatre arts student in, um, in uh, University of Lagos. She actually graduated um, whilst we were on, whilst we were in the middle of shooting, um, so it was her first film. Um, uh, the the her sister Grace uh, Cynthia was a child actor, and um, was just sort of getting back into into uh, into TV and that sort of thing because she's in a, she was in her final year as a at, she's an accounting student in her final year at college. And um, so she was thinking, oh, I want to get back into performance. And so she came along. She was one of the people that we had. A, we had a really great casting director called uh, Lala Kindoju, who, who's also an actor in her own right. She plays um, the manager, uh, the factory manager, Hope. And um, she did a really great job of, I mean, she knows everybody. She did a really great job of, of, of getting people that, that um, you know, we'd have discussions about how we imagine these characters, how we imagine these characters. And she did a great job of, of, of finding of finding uh, actors um, finding actors for the role, so 
that's sort of how it, it came along that way. We did, we did, we saw a lot of people and, you know, for the, for some of them, we, uh, for, for Wisdom, who's Moffet's, um, uh, apprentice, um, that was a, that was a, that was a role, that was a role we we're really struggling to find an actor for. Uh, so we ended up going to the University of Ibadan, which is, um, which is like in the neighboring state. And uh, we had like a casting call for their theater departments and people came in. So Fortune was also in his last, in his, in his junior year at college when we shot the film. And um, so was, we found, we got him from that, from that excursion and we got um, the characters called Tolu, Grace's best friend. Um, she also was from that excursion. She was actually, it was her and Cynthia for the final, were the final two for the, for the role of Grace, and when she didn't get Grace, we gave her, we put her in as Tulu. Um, and that, that was it really, it's kind of sort of, sort of, it's an example of how things work here. It's kind of like, it's got the, it's got the, it's got the, the structure of a traditional model, but then there's the stuff you have to improvise and make do and, and get done on the side. But that's, that's pretty much how we put, I put the car. I should also add, I I never mention him when we when we do these interviews, but um, we worked with a wonderful acting coach called Nicholas Monu, mm. um, uh, uh, who um, sort of trained in the UK and uh, is Nigerian himself, and has moved to lives in Austria now. <laughs> um, but he worked with the with the uh, two young um, uh, leads. Um, um, Rosa and uh, Grace in the film um, and did a, an amazing, amazing job with them. Um, uh, it, it, it was, yeah, it, it, it was great to, 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 have to, to have him sort of prepare them for, for film and for film shooting, which he just does so well. Um, but it also really helped with their camaraderie. So, you know, whilst we were shooting Mofez, um, Mofez chapters, uh, chapter, um, uh, Cynthia and Temi, um, the two actors, were doing um, lots of um, um, lots of like role play exercises, lots of um, uh, kind of before the movie um, kind of scenarios, which were really really great. Brought brought them um, made made them really really close. By the time we got to shooting, I think that made a really big difference as well. Um, I I also wanted to of course uh, ask about your uh, your collaboration with your cinematographer. Uh, I, I hope I'm, I'll get this right. I think it's Arseni Kashaturin, right? Is yeah. That, yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, the film is like, a, it's like a, you know, very pretty much a joy to like, to look at uh, throughout, um, you know, it's this very rich 35 millimeter image that is like a vibrant when it needs to be. And, um, uh, you know, uh, so I was wondering, I was wondering if you could talk a bit about the collaboration with with uh, with this with your cinematographer, and yeah. maybe a bit. Um, uh, I'm also like in relation to the actors, um, like the block. I think the blocking in the film is 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 quite interesting. I think the camera is um, the camera is never too close uh, to to the performers. I think you guys. It seems like you guys insisted on a certain amount of perhaps necessary uh, distance in the way the, the camera, in the camera's position relative to the performers. So, um, so sort of, how did you, how did you and, and Arseni kind of like uh, conceptualized like the way that would, the way that would work? Yeah, it's funny that you should mention the distance of the camera because um, 
uh, the film, which is being released in Nigeria this week. Um, they were doing promo and press, and um, the the people out there kept asking for uh, for like uh, close ups. I was like, yeah, like, 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 like three in the movie. Um, I can provide them for you, but it's it was it was an issue this distance thing um, promoting the film. Um, um, but yeah, we 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 definitely wanted to. Um, we we wanted to to make this feel as observational as possible. We wanted sort of we we wanted to try and include the audience in 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 the frames, if that makes sense. Um, um, which 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 actually proved um, uh, sort of you know I think trickier than trickier than one thinks. Sort of like making a film without these with these close ups and 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 having people um, emote and be and. Um, and blocking things in a way that feels like real life. Um, we shot on 16 millimeter, actually. Oh, sorry. Um, and one of, uh, no, no, um, but, but that, this was one of the, one of the reasons um, for that and why we stayed in the standard format of 16 was to have the ability to chop up um, space a bit more. So you weren't necessarily seeing, you weren't necessarily sort of wall to wall. Um, um, also because we, these spaces that the characters inhabit, they're small, but they they don't feel small to the characters, and they don't feel small even even to us as well. I mean, as 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 the crew, you're packing quite a few people into one small room. You feel it then, but but you you get a you get accustomed to working in small spaces, and small spaces don't feel small anymore. Um, which so that's why we kept it why we, we kept it that sort of squarish kind of format. Um, uh, or aspect ratio, um, but that also lends itself to, to to portraiture. Even when you're not right up in someone's face, you still feel there's there's still a, there's a level of intimacy that you can that you arrive at. And sixteen, I think, film also does that. It it, it there's there is um, I think particularly Lagos is such a textured place, um, and that has um, a wonderful range of 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 skin, of skin tones and and vibrant colors. That dynamic range is something that that really really lends itself to the way the film is photographed. Um, um, I think the production design by Taisa Malouf, who's a Brazilian, makes a world of difference in terms of what how you experience the film visually. Um, uh, like she did so much amazing work putting color into a lot of these um, rooms, whether it was window panels. The, the, the subtlest, smallest details. Um, she made every single room we walked into an absolute joy to photograph. And it's, it was very, very deliberate. Um, she, she's an absolute genius. Um, 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 and a lot of the rooms that we went into are empty. You know, she spent like five weeks um, in Lagos before we started shooting, visiting people's homes, um, um, getting familiar with how they sort of, even how they, how they buy, they shop, where they shop. Uh, trading um, new things that she bought for older things, um, all of that makes its way into the film and, and lends itself to the photography. Um, then working with Arseni was 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 also a joy. Arseni, um, I had come, I had met him at, during film school. Um, he was um, the DP of um, someone that I was at at, at Columbia with. Um, who um, had a film at New Directors, New, Fil um, New Films last year, the beginning, he shot that movie. Um, 
uh, after Aim of it, actually, funnily enough. But um, we so we had met um, several years ago, and I'd always had an interest in working with him. Uh, he also came out early, um, and I basically just told him everything I told you now about how we wanted to shoot the film, <laughs> and he was game, which is um, um, uh, which was which was brilliant. Um, I I um, the way that we work together, I tend to spend more time with the with the camera. Yeah, and Chuko spent more time with the actors. I think naturally because Chuko um, also wrote this wrote the script. Um, we were we just had that great luxury of being in two places at once. Um, so whilst I'd be sort of preparing the let's say the visual architecture of the film, Chuko would be um, working hand in hand with the actors in rehearsals. Um, we we're both very sad that we couldn't both be in those in those places, but um, the pace at which we had to make things at times made us have to do that. But it meant that at the end of the day, Chuko brought his tape from, from rehearsals and I brought by whatever it was, shot lists and, and maps. And, and um, we would just, um, we would agree, generally agree on, on, on the stuff that we were presenting at the end of the day and, um, and had that common language going on to set so that the crew didn't think that we were completely crazy and um do <laughs> mind yeah i was i always like to um with co-directors i always like to ask about that the sort of like division of uh of labor uh so to speak which um so thank you for just <laughs> for just getting to that uh but um uh, and also, I, I, I should know, I, it looked like 16 millimeter to me, but then I saw in a trade review, someone said it was 35. And I was like, oh, okay, maybe. That, Don't uh, believe the press, Dan. Yeah, Don't believe the news. press. <laughs> it was a prominent, a prominent trade publication as well. <laughs> um, well, I think we're, um, we're, we're starting to run out of time. So um, may, I would, I just wanted to ask, maybe I can ask one more, one more thing before I, before I let you guys um go i mean um i think uh some film some films uh that were perhaps on your mind or um or uh were important in some way for thinking through what the film would be we you know we talked about that a little bit but also like for me in watching the film i couldn't like i i got this strong feeling of um like like i think it like there's something literary uh about the film i i found it has this Oh. <laughs> you just made you those weak oh good <laughs> no it, ha it has um there's something about there's something about the rhythm uh the structure and sort of where by the by the end of the film like where we as an audience end up that feels kind of um like it might have something to do with uh with literature and and um like this almost like classical novel sort of like um idea so um I don't know. Was that like relevant? I guess. I guess it was relevant. <laughs> yeah. Well, was the big, the two biggest references for. I mean, outside of so our major references were New Taiwanese, the films of New Taiwan, New Taiwanese cinema, Ho mm -hmm. Shen, uh, Edward Yang in particular. Yeah. Um, and my feeling when I watched those films was exactly what you're speaking about. It's like, oh, sometimes. I mean, I remember watching A Brighter Summer Day and it felt like, you know, my the, the motion I had at the end of that film was the same one I have when I read like Dostoevsky or something. Um, and in looking at it, it's also part of why we decided to be objective in the way you shoot, in the way you shoot the film. So that um, my feeling was that, our feeling was that it allows the audience to sort of get used to the locations and get used to 
to all the colors and all the and all the chaos and and once you're used to that 20 20 25 minutes into the film you can sort of detach and just be involved with the characters um but the largest reference that during writing when i was still trying to figure out what it is i'm trying to do it was uh i i reread i have my annual pilgrimage to james joyce's dubliners and um and um and I'm the person that they write the introductions for at the start of the book. So I read the book, then I go to the introduction. And in the introduction, he said he was, he was, there was an excerpt from a letter he wrote to his brother in which he said um, uh, something along the lines of um, considering how large and uh, important Dublin is as a capital, it's, it's a wonder that it hasn't been given a world of its own. And that was, I was like, oh, that's exactly it with Lagos. And uh, he spoke about, um, he felt that the Irish couldn't, the Irish couldn't move forward unless they took a good look at themselves in his well-polished looking glass. And I was like, yeah, that's exactly, you know, he's, it's, 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 uh, it's the 12 stories in, 12 stories in Dubliners. And through that, you get an, you get an experience of the city, of the culture, of its people. Um, and um, that was a huge, huge reference for me in, in writing. That was sort of like one of those moments where it's like, oh, I, I, I had this, I, this is what I've been trying to, to say, to do. Um, and with, with, with Dickens, it was Bleak House. And what, what he does so amazingly in Bleak House is it's each location, it's, it's the, you've got the Chancery, you've got uh, Bleak House itself, and then Tom Alone, which is the slums. And there are, they are all so definite. And the characters there, the, the environment really affects the, you know, it's, it's the external, um, affecting the internal. And um, I, I really loved the way he did that, the way he gave each neighborhood and the characters in those neighborhoods, in those neighborhoods, um, very specific uh, attitudes and, and behaviors. And, and it was sort of mixing those things up. Um, but though that was, that a lot of that was, was in what we wanted from the film. We were really trying to present something that, that just sort of eases you along, you know, you sort of go along with it. Um, um, without sort of like a heavy, the heavy guiding hand of plot or story or, um, yeah, that was it. So yeah, you you're completely right. As Larry said, you've made my week. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's he's not going to hear the end of this. So he's. he's <laughs> well, I think for yeah for for selfish reasons, uh, we'll end on on that note. <laughs> but. Um, but no, uh, uh, yeah, no, I, I just wanted to say like, thank, thanks very much to you guys for, uh, for, for joining us for this discussion and, but most of all for, for this film. Um, yeah, uh, it's, it's really something. So, um, so thank you both very much. And I don't know if you want to say anything by way of a farewell, but, uh, uh, no, just the same thing. Thank, thank, I mean, thank you for taking time out. Thank you for, for speaking with us. Thank you to new directors, new films for actually giving us this platform and this, um, yeah, it, it just does, it doesn't really get better, especially for two, for two, for two kids that went to film school in New York to, to be at this festival is like, a, it's a real homecoming. Yeah, so just eternally grateful, really. <laughs>